Hello, and welcome to a very, very special episode of the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. Special for a couple of reasons. Number one, of course, the obvious. This is the Super Bowl preview episode of the podcast. It's also special because uh, today's my 24th birthday, and there's really nothing else I would rather spend my 24th birthday doing than talking about a game I've been looking forward to since the confetti was coming down on the field at Hard Rock Stadium last February when Patrick Mahomes asserted himself as someone to be reckoned with in the landscape of the history of football. I'm not just talking about the league right now. I'm talking about someone who, three years in as a starter, already looks to be well on the road to greatness for a number of reasons. And this podcast will cover as many bases as humanly possible. I've got storylines, I've got matchups, of course I've got some prop bets. It is the biggest gambling day of the year, the Super Bowl. There, I think I read something in the ballpark of $4 billion is expected to be wagered by about 22-23 million people, roughly. And now with the ease of access especially in the United States, where there's not a ton of states that have legal sports betting, but there's a decent amount now, so that number's going to keep creeping up every year for the Super Bowl, and it's going to keep going up because gambling is both fun and addictive, which is why it's gambling and why, like any time I give out picks, I will encourage you, go to as many different sources for information as possible before you make your bets, No one person has all the answers. As much information as you can get before you make any decision is a good thing. Speaking of, it's why I spent the better part of my Thursday, probably a solid two to three hours, preparing for this episode because there are just so many things to talk about. So, just a quick table setter. We're talking about an 11-5 Buccaneers team that was pretty good. In spurts, but had some ugly ones. The Saints body bagged them twice during the regular season. They, of course, lost to the Bears on Thursday Night Football, which was one of the stranger games of the regular season. And I don't want to say the Buccaneers don't deserve to be here, but based on how they've played, they've just kind of survived. They've played defense, they forced turnovers, they've gotten sacks. Things that are pretty hard to translate over a long period of time, and it's why this run has been so improbable. Yes, they have Tom Brady, and we're going to get into that. But for an 11-5 and team, I'm pretty impressed the Bucks are here, all things considered. For a, a few reasons, and we'll get into it in a second. Chiefs, we know the deal. 14-2, and 14-1 and one in games that Patrick Mahomes started. They didn't care about Week 17. Their one loss with Mahomes is to the Raiders in a shootout, in a game where he threw a couple of interceptions, in a game where the Raiders controlled the line of scrimmage and really tried to shorten the game. And I'll talk about shortening the game as a strategy for playing the Chiefs in a few. All of that said, I will see you guys on the other side of this drop. God, I'm excited. Third and eight. It's like third and one for this team. Down the field. Who else? Hill! At the 10! Cut back! Touchdown! Touchdown and a leap! And with that, I'm going to get right on into it. I'm looking down at my little handy-dandy rundown here, and the first thing I have written down are 
some observation because I went back and rewatched the Chiefs Buccaneers regular season game from Week Twelve two separate times during the course of this week. One, the regular CBS broadcast, and one, the All-22 version, which is from the higher angle, so you can see where everyone is on the field before the snap, so you get an idea of what each team is doing that's working for them. And I also read something from The Athletic that I used as a guide for things to look for when I was rewatching it so that I could see if I point could pick out the things that the person who wrote the article was observing and there are a lot of things I picked up from that first matchup obviously we know the Chiefs won the game the first time 27-24 it was in Tampa Bay the Buccaneers got boat raced in the first part of that game at one point it was 17-0 Tyreek Hill had 205 receiving yards and two touchdowns in the first quarter he, Carlton Davis of the Buccaneers, at one of their corners, had a really tough time on Tyreek Hill. And then once the uh, Chiefs got a lead, they did what they did a lot of this year when they had a big lead. They played conservatively. They didn't break out anything too crazy out of the toolbox. They're, they're saving those plays for this time of year. So things I noticed a lot of. When I'm really watching the Chiefs offense, you can just tell what a nightmare it is for the defense in two different ways. Number one, look at the Mike linebacker on defense. When a guy goes in motion for the Chiefs or Mahomes is calling something at the line and the Mike linebacker is still giving out signals and adjustments when the ball is snapped, that means the defense is off balance and they don't know how to react. Uh, First play from scrimmage. The Chiefs run a play where Tyreek Hill is lined up on the right side of the formation in a bunch with a tight end and another receiver. He comes across the formation at the line in a jet motion. Patrick Mahomes takes the snap in shotgun, and it's an RPO. There's too many guys in the box, so he does not hand the ball off. And Tyreek Hill, because he already has momentum because he's running full speed in the jet motion, runs a wheel route to the sideline, and he is able to get behind the defense. And the Buccaneers had no idea it was coming. And one of the things I'm going to say from the jump here is the Chiefs use a lot of RPOs, run pass options in their offense because they have the personnel to exploit them. And furthermore, they have someone like Mahomes whose arm is good enough where even if the right read is to hand the ball off, sometimes he will just gun it in there on a slant to someone because he can and he has the arm strength to do it. And against a defense like Tampa Bay's that is so aggressive, the RPOs are dangerous because Tampa Bay's guys, especially you talk about Devin White, you talk about Levante David, you talk about their safeties, if Antoine Winfield's going to be able to go. When those guys get running downhill because they are such an aggressive defense and they are so good against the run, the Buccaneers were the number one run defense in football this year, in part because they have such fast linebackers in David and White. When those guys are churning downhill or trying to get outside to the end to, you know, stop the running play, that's where the RPO becomes dangerous because Mahomes will see Devin White or Levante David crashing down towards the running back and he'll just pull that ball out of Clyde Edwards Alaire's belly and just fire a shot. And it's one way the Chiefs can use the Buccaneers defense's aggressiveness against them. Things from that first matchup you really get a flavor for how special Kansas City's offense is because of how off-balance Tampa's defense was. And this Tampa Bay defense is legit. 
I know the Rams had a more efficient defense in terms of EPA, but the Buccaneers have enough personnel at enough positions to give the other team headaches, and it's one of the reasons this game is so hard to project and to handicap, is that the Buccaneers' pass rush is its not something you can really quantify. It's a matter of, are these guys going to get home in the right situations, and can we slow down Mahomes enough? Because in the first matchup, they didn't give themselves a chance, the Buccaneers, because the Chiefs got out to such a big lead so fast. And it, it made for an impossible uphill climb because the Chiefs' defense is able to pass rush in obvious passing situations, and then that puts Brady off balance. And like I'm going to say in a few minutes, and like you've heard from pretty much every single pundit on every show for the last week and a half, if you drop guys in zone coverage and you're able to get pressure with four against Brady, we know historically he struggles. Obviously, Steve Spagnuolo did it very well in the Super Bowl with the Giants in 2007. But, but getting a little bit ahead of myself, things I have written down here that are important to know. Tendencies and tendency breakers. The Chiefs are the third most aggressive team in terms of passing on early downs, meaning first and second down, the Chiefs throw the ball the fourth most of any team in the league. That is something that allows the running game to be useful in short yarded situations where it's its most efficient. Because the defense then has to respect the run and the pass if they are in shorter situations. So let's say you pick up a slant on first and ten, you pick up seven yards. It's second and three. Conventional wisdom would tell you, since it's second and short, let's take a cheap deep shot downfield and then we come back on third down and we pick up the first down. Instead, what the Chiefs like to do, they like to get it to that second and third, and then they just like to run that for three, four yards, get the first down. It, and it's one of the situations you see Mahomes will scramble a lot because he's such an underrated runner of the football, and he's one of the more efficient runners of the football at the quarterback position. He's fourth most in terms of EPI, in terms of expected points added on rushing attempts, and that's something that can't be overstated against a pass rush that is aggressive against an aggressive pass rush, if the Chiefs' offensive line collapses the pocket enough, the pass rushers will run past Mahomes, and then Mahomes is up, can go upfield and use his legs, or he can buy more time in the pocket, he can dance around, and he'll find someone. And it's going to be a fascinating chess match. You talk about using RPOs to keep the defense off balance, you talk about play-action passes, and then you just talk about just straight-up nasty speed, man. We all know about Tyreek Hill. We know about Mecole Hardman. Then you even get to the depth guys, whether you're talking about Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson, Sammy Watkins. All these guys are pretty quick. And then there's Kelsey, who's no slouch at the tight end position, who can block. He's not as good a blocker as Kittle, but he's an above-average blocker, and he's got pretty good agility and speed for a tight end. There's a reason the Chiefs have won 25-27 of their last games, 25 of 26 in games Mahomes has started. They know what they're doing on offense, and it's why they're a three-and-a-half point or three-point favorite. This is one of the truly great offenses in terms of efficiency. And going off of that point, the Chiefs played their most efficient game as an offense in the AFC title game against the Bills, and... I know that seems a bit crazy because, you know, it's an AFC title game and the Bills are a pretty good team. And I know I read that in one column that was um, a compilation of opinions from people inside the league, one coach said that he thought the Bills were better than the Buccaneers and that 
unless the Buccaneers played an absolutely perfect football game, they're going to get run off the field because the Chiefs' offense is so good and the Buccaneers' defense is so aggressive. And against aggressive defenses, you just burn them a couple of times and they get demoralized, which is what happened in the first game, where Tyreek Hill just started eating and there was nothing the Buccaneers could do. In terms of strategy, you're going to have to try some creative things from a Tampa Bay perspective. When it comes to slowing down the Chiefs' offense, you have to drop guys in coverage. No matter what, you want to be in a cover two look most of the time because you want to play no doubles against the Chiefs. No doubles baseball terminology. You can't let the ball roll to the outfield wall. In a football sense, you can't let the ball go over your head. And the Buccaneers used a lot of cover two looks against the Chiefs the first time around. And one thing I have noted here is what they did the first time around, they only blitzed Mahomes nine times, but Mahomes was six for nine for 100-something yards and a touchdown against press coverage. Because once Tyreek Hill was able to get past the line of scrimmage and beat the guy who was pressing him, once Travis Kelsey was able to beat the guy pressing him, they were open. And it means that the Buccaneers, if they're going to press, they're going to have to utilize bracket situation, uh, bracket coverage concept where in a bracket system, all right, so let's say Carlton Davis is lined up facing Tyreek Hill. They're on the far right sideline. There are two ways to go about doing this. Number one, you can either play Carlton Davis with outside leverage, meaning he's on the side, he's giving Tyreek Hill towards the middle of the field the way his body is positioned, and you will have a safety on that side of the field who is playing the opposite. So if Carlton Davis is playing outside leverage, that means the safety on that side of the field would be playing inside leverage because you're trying to corral Tyreek Hill into a box, into a zone, into a bracket in between two guys so that the throw for Mahomes is more difficult. You can also do the inverse, where if you play Carlton Davis with inside leverage and you try and force Tyreek Hill to the sideline, that gives him less room to operate with, and in theory means it's a harder throw for Mahomes, because he has to throw further distance, he has to throw across the field, even if it is only to the near sideline, to the hash. It's a harder throw to make. Granted, Mahomes' arm strength is freaky. It means that the Buccaneers are going to have to be creative. Now, switching gears to talk about Tampa Bay's offense. Tampa Bay, ninth most aggressive in terms of early down passing situations, which makes sense. They had a hard time running the ball this year with Leonard Fournette, with Ronald Jones, the limited work LaShawn McCoy and Keyshawn Vaughn got. If you can't run the ball well, there's no point in running on an early down and getting yourself behind the sticks. And one of the things I noticed a lot of from the Buccaneers is that their run concepts, their bread-and-butter base plays, they run a lot of inside zone, and they run a lot, a lot of inside zone. And inside zone, most people who play Madden are familiar with this, zone blocking means that the offensive lineman is responsible for a gap instead of a defender. And it usually means that someone on the defensive line or one of the people in the box is going to come in unblocked because there's a zone that people are shifting towards. So if you're running an inside zone behind, like, the left guard in between the left guard and the center, it usually means the right end, whose opposite side is coming in on a pass rush, is going to get behind the play 
and he's going to come in unblocked because the ball is going to get handed off quickly. But neither Fournette nor Jones is particularly good at dancing in the backfield and buying time if there's not a gap there. And it's one of the reasons they had a hard time running the ball. On top of that, Buccaneers were a little less aggressive in terms of passing on first down thus far in the playoffs. And I think that is a product of the team trying to shorten the game, minimize the total number of possessions, and use their defense because their defense is strong enough that it does force enough turnovers that trying to shorten the game is a viable strategy. And it's weird because even though Tampa Bay's run offense was pretty rough this year, they were still 10th best in terms of offensive rush efficiency. And that's probably the weakest unit of Kansas City's of their four phases is their run defense. They do not have a particularly good box defender to stop the run. Whether you're going to talk about Anthony Hitchens, you're going to talk about Reed Sorensen coming down towards the line of scrimmage from the safety position. Aside from Tyron Matthew, they don't really have any plus run defenders, and Tyron Matthew is so versatile, it almost feels like a waste to have him playing the run. In this case, this would be a situation where I think the Chiefs might try and invite the Buccaneers to run the ball a little bit more than they typically would by playing a softer box, and if you play a softer box, meaning less people, meaning you're probably playing a lot of nickel, you're playing a lot of cover three, where you're going to have guys deeper and it's one of the things the Chiefs did particularly well in the first matchup was they did not let the Buccaneers get the ball up the field. Anyone who's watched a Bruce Arians offense over the years knows he likes to push the ball down the field. His pass attempts, the average depth of target is closer to 10 yards than it is 5, and that usually leads to productive offenses, but against a good pass rush, it is hard to get those routes to develop because they are down the field. It takes time for receivers, for tight ends, for running backs to get 10 yards down the field. And if the pass rush is screaming, you can't wait. You can't wait for that play to develop. And it's one of the things the Chiefs did well against the Buccaneers the first time around was they kept Tom Brady off balance and they gave him a hard time because Chiefs were playing lights out zone defense down the back end. And then, once you force the Buccaneers into those obvious passing situations, the Chiefs' pass rush is not bad. It's not as good as it was last year, but it's certainly not bad. And now, I must give my obligatory... Steve Spagnolo has beaten Tom Brady in a Super Bowl before. Steve Spagnolo is the only defensive coordinator in NFL history to win a Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator for two separate teams. And... We know what to do, in theory, to slow down a Tom Brady offense. You need to pressure in his face from up the middle. Chris Jones, the Chiefs' best pass rusher, is a defensive tackle. He gets pressure up the middle, makes Brady's life more difficult. Certainly within reason to see a universe in which the Buccaneers have a hard time getting their offense going. They struggle to move the ball. The Chiefs get out to a 10-3, a 13-3 kind of lead, and the Buccaneers have to abandon the run. They have to get into those passing situations earlier on in the game, and then the Chiefs' pass rush starts building momentum. It's one of the things that's dangerous about a good pass rush is the more pressure you get at a quarterback, the easier they are to rattle. 
And yes, even guys like Tom Brady get rattled if they are constantly getting hit, if they are constantly getting brought to the ground. You saw it in the 2007 Super Bowl. You saw it in the Super Bowl against the Eagles. You saw it against the Super Bowl against the Rams. You saw it in the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. Yes, he won the one against the Seahawks and won the one against the Rams, but the Eagles' pass rush getting home was the difference in that game. Yes, it was a high-scoring game where if the bucket, if they play that game ten times, the Patriots probably win seven of the ten. And that brings me to one of the things I have written down here is the Buccaneers' lack of of a receiving running back is going to be a problem in this game for a variety of reasons. The main being that that's one of the ways you stop an aggressive pass rushing defense is you got to get the ball out quickly. And historically, Brady has typically had the receiving back, whether you talk about Danny Woodhead, you talk about James White, you talk about Kevin Falk. He's typically had that guy that's been in there that's good in pass blocking situations. And if he needs to chip and then go out for a play, go out meaning go out for a route, he's able to do that. Neither Ronald Jones nor Leonard Fournette is a good pass blocker, nor are they a particularly good receiver. They've made Fournette into a workable receiving back during these playoffs out of necessity, not by his talent set. He's got pretty hard hands. The ball bounces off of them a lot of the time. He has to use his body to trap the ball to his chest, and it's going to be a challenge if that Chiefs pass rush is screaming, Brady's got nowhere to go, there's no obvious check down back. I mean, this might be me being stupid, but wouldn't be the dumbest ideal in the world to have LaShawn McCoy activated for this game for passing down situations. Not the worst idea I've ever had. It's not, it's dumb, but not the worst idea I've ever had. Now that we've kind of set the table for the two offenses versus the two defenses, I want to talk about what I would do if I was in those situations. So if I'm Kansas City's defense and I've got Tom Brady looking down the looking back at me, if I'm Tyron Matthew, I want the Buccaneers to run the ball against me. I know that's counterintuitive because the Chiefs' run defense is so bad and the Buccaneers' run offense, though not lethal, is efficient. It's a lot better if Ronald Jones is running for six yards, five and a half yards a carry, and you're keeping everything in front of you than it is to have Scotty Miller go over the top, to have Mike Evans go over the top, to have Chris Godwin take a short pass after the catch, to have Rob Gronkowski rumble down the field on a wheel route down the sideline like he's known to do in Super Bowls, to have someone like Cameron Bray get underneath in between you. It's one of the things that the Buccaneers did particularly well in the first matchup was using the tight ends in the middle of the field. Yes, the Chiefs were playing with a big lead. They were playing soft zone. They were trying to keep everything in front of them, but Gronkowski had his best statistical game of the season in the matchup in the regular season during Week 12. So you want to play a lot soft boxes. You're going to be a nickel a lot of the time anyway, just because the Buccaneers have so many skill guys out there. When you have three awesome receivers and then a fourth guy like Scotty Miller, and even at a fifth guy, you go down to Tyler Johnson, the, the wide receiver who went to Minnesota. Then you throw in Brait, you throw in Gronk, and you're talking about six, seven legitimate targets who could catch passes in this game. And you're going to want to invite the run. Every time Tom Brady does not throw the ball is a win 
if you are the Kansas City defense. Obviously, you're going to need to get pressure. Kansas City will be creative with how they send pressure. We saw the frustration, the hard time they gave Josh Allen last in the AFC title game where Allen just had no idea what was coming at him because the Chiefs were disguising what they were doing so well where they would pin someone down towards the line of scrimmage like Tyron Matthew and then he would drop in coverage but then a pressure would come up the middle. That's the key to an effective pass rush whether you're using a stunt like on the defensive line where a guy reverses with another one and they go to opposite gaps or you're talking about a delayed blitz whether it's a corner or a safety you don't want the quarterback to know where the pressure is coming from until the ball is snapped. Pre-snap, if you give away what you're doing, a guy like Brady will dissect you. As for the uh, Tampa Bay defense against Kansas City, one reason I really like the Buccaneers to have a good chance in this game is the fact that the Chiefs are going to be starting a backup at left tackle and a guard at tackle on the opposite side. They're going to have two backups. It's going to be Wiley at right tackle, and then Mike Remmers, yes, the guy who was so bad last year at right tackle for the Giants, they let him walk for nothing at left tackle. And they are going to be getting a healthy dose of Jason Pierre-Paul, of Shaq Barrett, of Devin White. It's not unquestioned that the Buccaneers pass rush is going to have success in this game and it's going to be incumbent upon the Chiefs getting the ball out quickly or using Mahomes' ability to move around in the pocket to buy time to if you can't get a clean block on a guy you got to block him downfield so that he's past Mahomes and not in Mahomes' face we know that Mahomes has the ability to move around in the pocket to scramble to throw from all kinds of arm angles, from any platform. He could be on one foot, he could be on no feet, he could do a Derek Jeter jump throw, and he'd still get a lot of velocity and pretty good touch on it. It's one of the things that's really remarkable is that Mahomes, for all of his arm strength, he does not miss a lot of throws, to be frank. He's as got as good a touch as anyone in the league. He doesn't quite throw the Russell Wilson moon ball, like the rainbow that's like the prettiest thing you've ever seen, but it's pretty damn close. From a base perspective, you're probably going to be in a lot of nickel, just again, for the same reason the Chiefs are likely to be in a lot of nickel, the skill position guys. You're going to have Tyreek Hill on the field. You're going to have Kelsey. You're going to have McCole Hardman for some plays. You're going to have Clyde Edwards-Alaire in there for some plays. You're going to have the Byron Pringles, the Demarcus Robinsons, those guys. A lot of speed. Sammy Watkins will be a factor in this game. I know Sammy Watkins had a pretty rough regular season, and he's been injured a lot, but he was had a role in the Super Bowl last year. So there's a universe in which Sammy Watkins has one of those key plays. Uh, in, a, in a matchup like this, historically, you think the elite defense goes over the elite offense, but I just don't think football works like that anymore, man. I really don't think you can say that the elite defense beats the elite offense anymore just because offense has all the advantages. The rules are set up for offense to thrive because points are exciting. When we talk about this game, I want to say that the Chiefs probably have the advantage in terms of the passing game 
and maybe the secondary. Buccaneers, I, in terms of efficiency, they have a better run game. I don't know how much I believe they have a better running game, but they have a better running game. They have a better pass rush. They have better box players. This is a pretty even matchup in terms of phases of the game, who goes where. Special teams-wise, I lean Tampa Bay. It's not by a significant margin. Of course, the Chiefs are going to have McCole Hardman returning punts and kicks. He's a walking big play. Don't know who the Buccaneers are going to have return kicks. They've had a few different guys do that. Special teams, Butker had a pretty nice season. Matt Gay had a decent season. Phases-wise, this is pretty even. In terms of philosophy for the game, for things to think about while you're watching, not storylines yet, those are coming. In terms of things I read about that I found interesting that I thought you guys would enjoy, in terms of total possessions in this game, a normal football game, each team has between 10 and 12 possessions. Michael Lombardi, the former Browns GM, the Patriots front office executive, the former Chiefs front office executive, he forecasted that you're going to be lucky to get eight or nine possessions in this football game because both teams are going to try and control the football. From a Tampa Bay perspective, that's going to mean long drives. From a Kansas City perspective, it means score as quickly as possible and get the ball back as quickly as possible and turn this into a track meet. He forecasts roughly eight to nine possessions for both teams in this game. And that the team with more punts will lose the game. He said that if the Buccaneers punt more than once in this game, they will probably lose. If the Chiefs punt more than once, they almost have certainly won this game. Because in his opinion, if they're punting, that means Andy feels like he's got this game pretty much wrapped up. From a... Game calling perspective, game management, situational usage, what you would like to call it. One of the main keys for Tampa in this game will be to stay ahead of the sticks. I know that sounds like football jargon, but I promise it's a very simple thing. You have to gain 10 yards in four plays. On first down, you want to gain at least six yards to set up a favorable second down where it could be a run or a pass. If you run the ball on first down and you only gain two yards and you're in second and eight, you are at a disadvantage. You are, in theory, behind the sticks. Football people call this playing Canadian football because in Canadian football, you only have three downs to get a first down. So if you don't convert on second down, you typically punt on third down. That's going to be a key for Tampa Bay here. Can you stay in favorable situations where the defense cannot be sitting pass, pass rush, and make Brady get the ball out before he's ready to do it? Can you pick up first down on second down? And it's something of note here. The Chiefs are the 30th ranked defense in terms of allowing first downs on second down. That is good for the Tampa Bay offense. They were a little more middle of the pack on third down. I believe they were 17th in terms of third down efficiency on defense. You want to get first downs 
before you get to third down because third down, third and medium, it's a passing situation. You're not going to run against a soft box, even if it is a soft box on third and seven, because it's really hard to run the ball for seven yards in football unless someone messes up their assignment. These defenses are both aggressive. They rely on pass rush to create turnovers. That is their main thing. These are not defenses that are going to play elite coverage in the secondary, put the clamps on people, send people to Alcatraz, send people to Leavenworth, whatever prison analogy you want to use. There isn't a lockdown corner in this game. There's no Marshawn Lattimore. There's no Jalen Ramsey. There's no Jair Alexander. There are good corners. Then you got Tyron Matthew floating around, who's going to play a little bit of linebacker, safety, and corner. And last thing I have written down for this section is the middle eight of the football game. The middle eight refers to the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. This is one of the things that the Patriots have been excellent at during the entirety of Bill Belichick's tenure as head coach, is when the Patriots have the ball with about four minutes to go, they will slow down their play calling. They won't snap the ball till there's three or four seconds because they don't want the other team to get the ball back before the half ends, especially if they're getting the ball to start the second half. Because if you can score going into the half, the other team doesn't get a chance to touch the ball, and you get the ball back, that's almost like getting an extra possession by playing good offense instead of having to play good defense. And it's a key to playing quality football in the playoffs because it means you have control of the game. When I say control of the game, I mean you can run or pass in either situation because the other team is off balance. That is the key to being efficient. You want the other team off balance so that you can run or pass in any situation. You want to pass in early situation, early down situations so that you can run in later down situations because running for three yards is efficient. You want to run the ball for two or three yards. You can pass for three yards, obviously. I mean, we saw the Chiefs do it with Chad Henney to Tyree Kill. They needed five yards to win the game because they were aggressive, because Andy Reid, like he said, BYU, every down's a passing down. That works, but from a philosophy standpoint, generally speaking, running in short-yarded situations is efficient. The last thing in this part of the strategy, the philosophy, anytime either team crosses their own 40-yard line, they should probably tell their punter to uh, put his jacket back on because it's supposed to be raining, and he doesn't want to get wet, he doesn't want to catch a cold, so yeah, don't. Don't punt if you cross the 40-yard line. And I know Bruce Arians is a little bit... He likes to say he's risk it for the biscuit, but uh, plays a little soft for my liking in terms of aggressiveness, in terms of play calling. Uh, you got to throw more on first down, Bruce, and you got to be willing to let Brady do things, especially in a game like this where every last possession is going to matter, where you're going to need points on... Six of your eight, seven of your eight, eight out of your eight possessions, nine of your nine possessions, as crazy as that sounds, you're going to need to score more or less every single time you touch the ball. Of course, if your defense gets you an extra possession, you got a little more room to play with. That's another thing. But conventionally speaking, you should not be banking on turnovers as part of, as part of your game plan. You just you can't 
They are not a predictable thing. They are not something you can scheme up and force. You can try to force them, but there are factors that go into that. Whether it's pass rushing and forcing a fumble because someone's not protecting the ball, or it's a quarterback misreading a coverage and throwing a pick, or forcing a quarterback to throw the ball before they're ready, or off balance and into traffic. All of those things can get you close to a turnover, but at the end, you gotta get the turnover, and you can't bank on them to win you football games. Now that we talked strategy, it's time to talk narratives, man, because this is one of the fun things about the Super Bowl, is everybody's got a narrative, everybody's got a take, these are elite teams, well put together, so both general managers, whether you're talking about Jason Light or Brad Veach, they get to do the the puff PR pieces where they get to talk about how good a team they put together. You get the glowing profiles about both coaches who put their life's work into getting to this journey. They get to recount sometimes they made mistakes and how they're never going to let an opportunity like this go for granted. You get to talk about guys who are trying to define a legacy for the guys who are on the field between the lines. You're getting to talk about people like for someone like Brady, where they rank in terms of the all-time greats. I mean, yes, we know Tom Brady is probably the greatest quarterback ever. He does have six Super Bowl wins. Yes, he has three losses, but going to ten Super Bowls and winning six of them thus far, he might win his seventh on Sunday. Either way is impressive. He's got the best paper resume of any quarterback. And there's already been a nauseating amount of discussion of, well, if Mahomes wins this game, does he already put himself in the discussion for best quarterback of all time? What does this mean for his legacy? If he doesn't win this game, can he ever catch up to Brady? I'm not interested in any of that. To be frank, that's talking head stuff to fill up airtime because 24-hour news cycles need things to talk about. These are both extremely talented quarterbacks. They're talented in different ways. At this point in his career, Brady Brady's mental tools are just as important as his physical skills, whereas Mahomes' physical skills are incredible, and his mental skills as a quarterback are getting there. Of course, this is the man who famously said after they won the Super Bowl last year that he didn't know how to read defenses yet and that he was still learning how to do it, which I kind of thought was facetious and he was probably exaggerating or joking, but I digress, I digress. In terms of things that I do find interesting, one of the glowing pieces I managed to read during preparation for this was a feature in in The Ringer that Kevin Clark wrote about how the Chiefs assembled their roster. And some of the talking points in there that Brad Veach, the Chiefs GM, mentioned are things I've often talked about on this show. And I've talked about in things I've written on other people's shows. Just these are good principles to building your team. The number one thing that Brad Veach talked about was the fact that his coaching staff always tells him we can make the scheme work for whoever you get if you give us a guy we will find a role for him because if you're taking him that means he can do something well that is a good principle to start in it's why they saw Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech and Andy Reid looked at him and said all right I think we could do this and Veach was the one who pushed him into Veach was the one who wanted Mahomes. He was the one pounding the table to get him. Remember, the Chiefs still had Alex Smith, who was putting up pretty solid numbers, who was making the Pro Bowl, and the Chiefs were not winning big games in the playoffs with Alex Smith. The Chiefs did not look at Patrick Mahomes and say, 
placing the air raid. We can't work with that. Andy Reid saw Veach was going to take him and said, all right, well, we're going to incorporate air raid concepts into our offense because this kid has the tools. We just have to put him in a position to succeed. I wonder why that works. I wonder why putting guys in a position to succeed leads to guys playing well. It's almost like that's what you're supposed to do as a coach. Instead of forcing square pegs into round holes and trying to get the guys to do things they're not good at, you should be maximizing the talents they do have. Mahomes has all-world arm strength, uh, borderline elite mobility, and really, really good ball placement. Those are nice traits. Do I think he can diagnose a defense as well as Tom Brady? No. He doesn't need to. The Chiefs have put together an offense tailored to his skill set. It's why they have so many speed guys. It's why they use so much pre-stat motion. It's why they use RPOs, which are something that the NFL has heavily stolen from college. It's one of the things the Chiefs do more, I think, than anyone else in the league. It's why their offense is so creative, is that they just... Outright crib note plays from college that work. The tight end leak is one of the best Chiefs plays that they break out a lot. And it is something from the college ranks where the quarterback will roll out to one side of the field, usually to the right, because you want to roll out to your throwing side. And Travis Kelsey will just leak back across the field to the left behind of still blocking offensive linemen, it's not quite a screen concept, but it's pretty close, and Kelsey gets the ball, and it's really hard to tackle Travis Kelsey if you're not coming at him with a full head of steam, and I think, I think the Buccaneers have the personnel to kind of slow down Kelsey, but again, Travis Kelsey had one of the best if not the single best statistical seasons ever at the tight end position this year. When we talk about what makes the Chiefs so good, we, we know it's that they've got really good players, obviously. Chris Jones, Travis Kelsey, Tyron Matthew, Tyreek Hill, Patrick Mahomes, as your foundational building blocks, are all awesome. But they also have really nice pieces around them, whether you're talking about Brashad Breeland, Legereus Sneed. Those guys are pretty good. I don't think Anthony Hitchens is particularly good. I do think that's probably the weakest point on the Chiefs' defense is their linebackers and their box players. But it's, it doesn't have to be elite because, you know, it's not a running league anymore. So having the good secondary in the pass rush, at two out of three ain't bad. Two out of three is not bad. And in going along with the whole, we want to get our guys on the field sick, it's one of the reasons Legereus Sneed has been so good as a rookie. That He was a safety in college, but Steve Spagnuolo said, all right, we'll get him on the field. You drafted him in the third round. I think we could do something with him. And they put him in at nickel corner, and he was probably the best rookie nickel corner in the league. And one of the better nickel corners outright in the entire league. And one of the things that Veach mentioned was the fact that when you have guys like Mahomes, like Kelsey, those guys have dedicated so much time and work to their craft just to get here, that that trickles down to other guys on the team. 
you see someone like Mahomes, who's as good as he is, who works as much as he does, you're not going to want to let that guy down. You can win the Super Bowl every single year. That guy is your quarterback because he will elevate the talent around him. You don't want to let that guy down. Do you want to be the reason the Chiefs didn't win the Super Bowl because you didn't work hard enough? And, of course, the other obvious glowing narrative that put together a little bit uh, disingenuously is that Jason Light put of the Buccaneers put together this amazing team and then he wooed Tom Brady. Uh... Buccaneers kind of stunk last year. They had a really explosive offense, but their defense was garbage. And Jameis turned the ball over a ton. Tom Brady's impact is obvious here. He didn't turn the ball over as much as Jameis, and the defense forced more turnovers. Do I think that's sustainable long-term? Probably not. I think they're going to have to let Chris Godwin go in free agency. I know that the flat cap is going to mess up some teams. I know they've tried to be efficient in how they've doled out money and that kind of thing, but I am, I'll say skeptical about the long-range potential of this Buccaneers team, obviously because Arians already came out of retirement once, and Tom Brady will be 44 years old next year, which is pretty remarkable, because I remember several years ago when Brady said he was going to play until he was 45, I thought he was nuts, that that wouldn't be possible, and yet... He found the great landing spot that put him in a position to succeed, and he was able to elevate the talent around him, where they got the good production out of Mike Evans, even though he had a couple bad injuries, where they brought Gronk out of retirement. There's pieces on the Buccaneers team. I like the Bucks defense from a building block perspective. I mean, I wouldn't have used a top 10 pick on Vita Vea, the defensive tackle, but Winfield is good. Carlton Davis isn't bad. You talk about Shaq Barrett, who is a good free agent signing. JPP, they traded for from the Giants. They drafted Devin White. They drafted Levante David. Sean Murphy Bunting is still pretty young in the league. Jamal Dean is still pretty young. The defense is workable. The offense, you're probably going to get one more year of Brady after this, and then we'll see Gronk, Ditto. Chris Godwin probably leaves in free agency. Antonio Brown probably leaves in free agency. Yeah, if you just go to Mike Evans, Scotty Miller, Tyler Johnson, Cameron Brait, and O.J. Howard, that's not awful, but it's not as good as this year, to be frank. You know, that's okay. You, When you have an opportunity to win a Super Bowl like the Buccaneers felt they did this year, you go all out, you pay the premium, you do the two-year, $25 million a year contract with Brady, and you say, all right, Tom, this is a pretty good team. Make us a Super Bowl team don't know how much credit you can give Brady, like I said during the introduction, like I've said quite often to a few of my friends. The Buccaneers have been just good at situational football. They haven't really jumped out. The only game where they were just outright dominant against a good team, the Green Bay game, was a weird game. And, you know, they haven't been amazing in the playoffs. They've had a hard time moving the ball on offense at times because they've been so conservative in early downs and they've ran so often and they've had to, you know, rely on their defense to force turnovers, give their offense a short field. If you can give your offense a short field, that helps. But, you know, Mahomes is pretty careful.
careful with the football. You can get him to turn the ball over. I know the Dolphins gave him a really hard time this year, and the Chiefs had to play that game down to the wire trying to win that game because the because the Dolphins were so good at making Mahomes uncomfortable. He was forced to throw in the tight windows. Yeah, a few of those balls got batted up in the air, but those interceptions still count, that kind of thing. Last thing I want to touch on here in narratives is we don't do this enough in sports media. We don't just bask in how fortunate we are that we get to live in a time where we get to see the presumptive best quarterback going forward in Mahomes, someone who very well could end up in the discussion with Tom Brady at the end of his career, go up against a Tom Brady who's not in his prime anymore, but he's still an above-average quarterback. If I had to rank them, Brady's probably around 8th in the league, ninth in the league, just based on what he can give you from a preparation and a mental standpoint. His arm talent isn't amazing anymore, but he can make 80% of the throws. It's still pretty good. So we should be more appreciative of talent, and instead of trying to just tear people down because we have to fill up airtime, we should be praising guys for being here. The fact Tom Brady's still playing at this level at his age is remarkable. The fact that Patrick Mahomes is already getting baby goat bestowed upon him three years into his NFL career is outright remarkable. This guy is the most electrifying quarterback I have ever seen throw the ball. In terms of ranking them, I tweeted it out when the Chiefs came back and won on a Sunday night football game this year. Best quarterbacks ever in order. Present day, Patrick Mahomes won. 2014, Aaron Rodgers, two. 2007, Tom Brady, number three. 2004, Peyton Manning, four. And then everyone else. That's it. Mahomes is easily the best quarterback I've ever seen. I've ever, ever seen. I thought Rodgers, back in like 2014 range, was uh, impossibly good. But Mahomes is even more athletic than Rodgers, and that's the difference. Because Rodgers has about the same arm talent as Mahomes. It's just that Mahomes is faster, he can dance in the pocket better, and he can throw a little bit more off of weirder angles and off of one foot a little bit better than Rodgers, just my opinion. Now, I've kind of set the table, I've given you a lot of things to think about from a strategy, from a narrative, from a, these teams already played in the regular season, what can we learn from that? It's time for a little bit of gambling talk. Now, again, I said it during the introduction, I will say it again. Please, 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 I encourage you, go listen to other podcasts, read more articles, get as much information as you can before you place any bets, and if you are in a state where sports gambling is legal, shop around for the best line possible. Different sports books have different lines, and in certain states, they have better lines than other states. Shop around. I know the DraftKings Sportsbook typically has better lines than the FanDuel Sportsbook. 
from a props perspective. I've noticed over the months that I've been making the trek over to Jersey, the FanDuel Sportsbook, it's not awful, but the lines are better on DraftKings. So with both of those disclaimers out there, both of those words of wisdom, I'm going to jump right into it. So outright picking the game. The first note I have here that my friend Blakey Locks, who writes for Gotham, writes for Spread Investor, has his own podcast, Hedging Kids for Gardeners, who was a plus winner for college football and the NFL during the regular season, and thus far into the playoffs. He dropped this tidbit the other day. Over the last 17 years, teams that had the spread move in their favor are 10-5 and five against the spread. The Buccaneers opened as three-and-a-half-point favorites. I don't know where people on ESPN and people at The Athletic are still seeing three-and-a-half as the line. All the books I've looked at have the game as a three-point game. That being said, this trend would indicate the Buccaneers historically would cover. I know I said they are 10-5. and five. In two of those 17 games, the line did not move from where it opened. The Buccaneers plus three is the first historical trend that is favored. From a regular season perspective, the Chiefs were seven and nine against the spread this year. They are one and seven since week nine because they've had some gaudy spreads during the second half of the season because, you know, Chiefs high flying offense, that kind of thing. They've won a lot of one score games, and those count all the same from a football perspective, but from a degenerate perspective, those do not count the same. Over to the Bucks, 11-8 against the spread thus far into the season. They had weird pockets where they went a few weeks without covering, covered once. Not a very consistent performance. I mean, that was the narrative well into December about the Buccaneers that, well, we got to see. They have a high ceiling, but we've seen them also just look outright lost on offense and have a really hard time moving the ball. So, all of that said... The trends thus far, just looking at it from a gambling perspective, from a strategy perspective, not from a team perspective, history would say the Buccaneers probably cover. In terms of just philosophy, I know I've heard it said more than once that in a close game, you favor the team with the better defense. And again, that would favor the Buccaneers. I, on the other hand, do not particularly believe in that theory anymore, especially after last year where the Chiefs offense against an elite San Francisco defense, San Francisco should have won that game. I didn't really get into the point I was going to have about how we were one Jimmy Garoppolo completion to Emmanuel Sanders away from people already trying to write off Mahomes because he lost a Super Bowl in his second year as a starter. But in terms of these two teams, for picking the game, I will be taking the Chiefs minus three, even though the historical trends lean toward the Buccaneers' side of things. Now, talking about the over-under, 56.5 is what it was when I wrote down these notes that might have changed since the news. 
that there is supposed to be heavy rain for most of, if not the entire game, including thunderstorms, which could mean delays if there is lightning within a couple miles of the stadium, which would be unfortunate. Historically, the Super Bowl is dead even. It is 27, 27, and 1. The 1, Super Bowl 1, there is no record for what the over-under was for that game back in the late 60s, so... From that perspective, there's no historical trend to follow. During the regular season, the Chiefs were 9-9 nine and nine in terms of the over-under, and the Buccaneers were 11-8 and eight in terms of going over. From a half perspective, the Buccaneers 10-8 and eight covering the first half over. Chiefs 7-9. and nine covering the first half over in their games. That is not the team total, which is different. Important to make that distinction because there is a team total prop I have coming up in a few minutes. But from that perspective, I think there is a little bit of value in the first half under, which I will be playing. I like both of these teams, but typically Super Bowls, no one really comes out flying on offense in the Super Bowl. It usually does take a drive or two for... The offense is to get a rhythm, get their timing down. These guys have been sitting around for most of the day. They've probably been up since 9, 10 in the morning. They've been sitting around 7, 8 hours before they get to play. There's the extra long pregame because you have the God Bless America, you have the National Anthem, you have the Jet Flyover, you have all the pizzazz of a Super Bowl. That, that goes into it. There are nerves. Even for guys like Brady, guys like Gronk, guys like Mahomes who have been here, this is still the Super Bowl. This is still one of the biggest games of your entire life. One of the biggest days of your entire life. I talked about this with Mike Adams when we were talking about the UFC. These guys have been playing football since they are five or six years old. And getting to the Super Bowl is the pinnacle of the profession. It is the summation of 20 plus years of your life's work. And you don't ever know if you'll get back ask Dan Marino about getting back to the Super Bowl. There are no guarantees, and it is why these games have so much weighing on them, why these guys get a little jumpy coming out of the gate. It's why I will play the first half under. Now, getting a little bit more into the prop market, which is, you know, either you want to talk about players, you want to talk about the neat stuff, which is only for the Super Bowl, like the National Anthem, the coin toss, the color, the Gatorade, the number of things mentioned on the broadcast, all that kind of shit. That's, you know, it's only there for the Super Bowl because the Super Bowl is such a big gambling day. The one I have written down here, and that will be in the Gotham Sports Network Super Bowl prop bet guide, which will be published on Friday, where... Everybody put in a prop or two that they liked for a litany of reasons. A lot of people did quite a bit of research. I would appreciate if people went and checked that out because when we get enough people to collaborate and put together roundtables, they usually do well in terms of engagement, but by all means, please join the conversation. Give us props you like in the replies to the tweet about the prop article. So this is the one I submitted. I submitted two, but and I will give both of them here as well. But the first one I have written down is Rob Gronkowski receiving yards on FanDuel Sportsbook. It is thirty-one and a half. On DraftKings, it is twenty-nine and a half. So 
I'd like Gronkowski over receiving yards for a few reasons. Number one, the first time these two teams met, like I said, Gronkowski, 105 yards receiving. Yes, that was against a soft defense that was trying to keep everything in front of them, so Gronk had room to operate. He didn't have to worry about trying to get into second gear and running at full speed, which he doesn't do particularly well anymore. But that's reason number one. Number two, from a purely target and volume perspective, the Buccaneers are going to win this game. That likely means Tom Brady has to throw the ball in the ballpark of 40 times. I know I said they have about seven guys who are legitimate receiving threats. Even if you divide out 40 by 7, you get in the ballpark of four or five targets apiece. You know, five, six targets apiece. I'd assume... You're going to lean a little bit heavier towards Mike Evans, towards Chris Godwin. We don't know how healthy Antonio Brown is, but Gronk is Tom's guy. Gronk came back out of retirement because Tom wanted him to. And I know I said before that the Buccaneers do not have a check down back, but this is a situation where the Buccaneers can use Gronkowski's ability as a blocker to their advantage and... You know, if he has to chip and then go out and he's the check on a couple of plays, 29 and a half, 31 and a half yards, somewhere in that ballpark, wherever you can get it. Obviously, if you're going to play the over, play the lower number. So if you can get DraftKings where you are, play it on the DraftKings line because it's more favorable. You're talking about three catches, four catches for 31 yards, 31 and a half yards, what you need. The other thing here is Chiefs do not have someone particularly well-suited to match up with Gronkowski in pass coverage. Now, you could put Tyron Matthew on Gronk, but that's, I don't want to say that's a waste of Tyron Matthew's talents because he's so versatile, but there are bigger fish to fry in the, Buccaneer the Chief offense for the Buccaneers defense than Rob Gronkowski. So if he's getting matchups with Sorensen or Anthony Hitchens, that's a favorable situation. So I like I like Gronk receiving yards. My next prop tails in the coin toss. It, obviously, this line is going to be minus one thirteen, minus one ten, whatever it is for both heads and tails. I'm going with tails for one reason and one reason only. That's what I told you. No, I told the special team always pick. You should have told him tail. I thought you told him. No, I told you. I thought you knew the special team always coach. They, they, they don't play the PlayStation like us. Thank you, Randy Moss. Next prop. This is one I mooched from a friend. I'm not sure if it will be in the Gotham Gambling Preview, but the under on the National Anthem, it is a duet solely based on the fact that two people will not be able to, you know, improvise like a solo singer would. It would skew towards being a shorter and quicker national anthem. Somewhere in the ballpark of 118 seconds is the market. 118, 118 and a half seconds for the national anthem. The one time that the woman singing with Eric Church sang the national anthem in public like there's video available it was a 95 second national anthem that was at the all-star game in nashville back in 2016 so she'll sing it pretty i'd assume she'll sing relatively quick in that 
Eric Church has more than once said that uh, he has a hard time with singing the national anthem and he wouldn't really want to do it, so I don't think he's going to overplay it or try and sell it up and pull a Fergie where he's trying to improv and harmonize during the song. Under on the national anthem. Next. More conventional prop here. Anytime touchdown market, these lines are a little bit... It depends. There are The numbers are better on DraftKings' lines. I, I know the one that really jumped out at me was one person I always like to bet on to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl is a fullback. The odds are always juicy, and teams break out gimmicky things down by the goal line in the Super Bowl because you can't hold anything back, and when you break out those tricky plays, inventive things happen. And last year, Kyle Juszczyk scored a touchdown, which was money for me, which was nice. This year, I like Anthony Sherman in this game to score a touchdown. The Buccaneers do not have a fullback, so this will be a one-bet leg. Anthony Sherman, anytime touchdown, plus 2,200. You know the Chiefs are going to have some kind of chicanery down by the goal line. They ran that play from the 1948 Rose Bowl last year where the players all like did a shimmy and turned their backs to the play, and it was a direct snap to Travis Kelsey, and it was gimmicky. Like the Chiefs to do something gimmicky like that down by the red zone to Anthony Sherman. On DraftKings, it is plus 2,200. On FanDuel, plus 1,500. Next, anytime touchdown score, Patrick Mahomes, plus 270. I know the Chiefs had a scare a couple weeks ago in the divisional round where Mahomes landed funny. He got his neck twisted. He went through concussion protocol. This is a Super Bowl. Mahomes is down by the red zone, and no one is near him. He's going to take off and run because he has the ability to do so. Like I said earlier in the show, fifth best quarterback in terms of EPA running the ball. Like that one. Mahomes, goal line, touchdown. From the Tampa Bay side of things, I've got two written down here. I've got Ronald Jones, plus 250. you got to get someone from the Buccaneers. Mike Evans is in a juicy line. If Mike Evans' odds were a little bit better, I would bet Mike Evans. He did have 10 touchdowns in the regular season, in the red zone alone. So you got to figure he's a prime target. But for the sake of this, I'll say Ronald Jones. And then... The Tampa Bay defense, plus 550, anytime touchdown. I always bet one defense in the Super Bowl to score a touchdown. Last year, we did hit with the 49ers defense, which was nice. But you want something with a little bit more odds. Obviously, the bigger the line is, the fewer units you play. No matter how much you wager on each individual play, we do not unit shame. You can bet as much or as little as you want on anything. If you want to throw $5 on Anthony Sherman anytime touchdown at plus 2200 you clean out 110 bucks. That would not be bad. So if you were to throw $5 on the Tampa Bay defense to score an anytime touchdown, you'd be around $26, $27 on a $5 bet. You'd win about $32, $33 with your initial bet back to you. Those are my four anytime touchdown market plays. I would also, if you really are itching for an additional one, throw Cameron Bray, the Buccaneers tight end in there. Depends, you can get him somewhere between plus 650 and plus 1,000, depending on which book you look at. There's, I promise, 
the more you look around, the better lines you find. The best line to play, obviously play the best odds. Not every mobile sports book is in every single state, so be aware of that before you go making an account with either BetMGM, William Hill, FanDuel, DraftKings, whatever sports book you use. Make sure, first of all, they're licensed to operate in your state so you don't deposit money into an account you can't use. And then, look for the best line possible of the state of the sports books that are legal in your state. Next, I have this one written down, and I've gone back and forth on the total in this game, but I'm going to lean under. I know the rain might mess up this line. I should have bet it earlier in the week when it was 56.5 or 57, depending where you look. It will probably trick down just because the amount of volume of people who bet the Super Bowl that don't typically bet. So 56.5, if it's in that ballpark, I'd probably play the under to 54, somewhere 55.5. I'd probably play the under till 55.5, and, and then I'd get the over. I feel this game probably ends up being in the 20s. Last year's Super Bowl was 31-20. It, something in that realm seems to doable. So I would rather... I really don't like betting the under in the NFL. I really only like betting the under in college between a good team and a bad team where the bad team won't get opportunities to touch the ball a lot and the offense of the other team is just so dominant. But in this case, these defenses are in the case of Tampa Bay, very good, and in Kansas City's case, respectable. It's top 10 in most defensive categories except for run defense, and that's fine. Again, like I said more than once, if you want to encourage the Buccaneers to run the ball, by all means, that's probably a good strategy to win this football game. The next prop I have written down here, Tampa Bay team total under 27 and a half. I know, I know, I know, I don't think the Chiefs going to lose this football game. And in that case, I feel like the Chiefs win this game by more than a touchdown, which would lead me to believe that this score is somewhere in the ballpark of last year's Super Bowl, where you're talking about somewhere the Buccaneers end up scoring 21, 24, somewhere in that ballpark. It, I don't think they get into the 30s. I don't think this game will be extremely high scoring. I figure it'll be in the 20s. It'll be a pretty conventional scoring game. It won't take a ton to hit the over in this game. All it'll take is one extra short field or a crazy special teams play to make it happen. But I see where most universes this game is played in. You're talking about a 29-24 a 27-24, a 27-21. We saw these two teams play once already. Typically speaking, that's pretty reflective of how a game will go the second time around because the teams have more familiarity. I know it's not a great example, but the Saints beating the Bucks the first time around, then doing it again, but then in the playoffs, the Buccaneers getting a little revenge. There are a lot, a lot of trends to try and use to prove your point when you're looking at history to formulate an opinion as to who's going to win a game. The other things I have written down here, I have two, I have three more total props, but one of them 
Two of them are tied into the same ballpark, so I'll bunch them together. Special teams props. If you can find them. The first one is, will there be a missed extra point by either team? Plus 230 on DraftKings. I like this one. Butker missed quite a few extra points this year, as did the Buccaneers kicker. Purely a gut instinct one. Decent value, enticing line, five, ten bucks, twenty bucks, however much you want to throw. I I like that one there. And then another special teams prop I like. Total punts in the game under six and a half at minus one twenty five. That line is a little juice, but again, when you're talking about this game, like I talked about before when I quoted part of Michael Lombardi's column from this week. You're only going to get eight, nine possessions in this game. You can't afford to punt more than twice if you want a chance to win. In that ballpark, if each team punted twice, you'd be at four. Six and a half is pretty high, unless uh, Mr. Risk it for a Biscuit, Bruce Arians, decides to be a coward, which he very well could, because he's been very conservative in the playoffs and not particularly aggressive in his play calling. Under on total punts. And then... The last prop I have here for the podcast, Clyde Edwards-Alaire rushing and receiving yards under the number 44 and a half. I just don't think the Chiefs are going to run the ball a lot in this game. Of course, all it takes is one screen pass that leaks out and Edwards-Alaire to blow it up for a big play to ruin this. I just don't think the Chiefs will run the ball a lot overall in this game. I mean, the first time these two teams met, they ran the ball. 11 times total, and they didn't gain a lot of yards, because, especially because the Buccaneers' defense is so good against the run. There's almost no point in running the ball, aside from if you're in a short-yarded situation. And to be frank, Darrell Williams was fine in short-yarded situations in the games Clyde Rizalaire could not play. So, yeah. There's a couple props there for you. Nothing too crazy. I didn't go bananas. Obviously, 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 please bet responsibly. Do not bet any money you would feel uncomfortable losing. I have to say that so I feel okay about myself. Really fun episode. I'm really, really upset that football season will be over on Sunday. But of course, draft season, mock draft season, free agency, trade, QB carousel, Look ahead, and of course, NHL, NBA, MLB on the horizon, Daytona 500, two weeks, Formula One season's about two months away, soccer, oh god, my poor Liverpool man, losing to Brighton at Anfield, what an abomination. Okay, got that off my chest, needed to say that, but... As far as episodes for next week, ironing out guests, still working on it. Monday's episode, of course, will be full recap of the game. Some big picture things to talk about about the state of football going forward. Things I learned from this season and the Super Bowl in particular. Of course, please help grow the show. Going to get everyone out of here in a second, but please... 
no matter where you are listening to this show, what platform, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Apple Podcasts, whether it's SoundCloud, Stout, Stitcher, Audio Boom, Google Play, wherever you are listening to this, please subscribe, follow, download the episode, because downloads helps, leave a review if you're on Apple Podcasts, all the works, help grow the show, join the conversation in replies, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Instagram, all that jazz. I'm going to go enjoy my birthday, you know, in a pandemic, so sitting at home having takeout with my family and, you know, hoping that this pandemic ends soon so that we can go back to enjoying sports in person because, God, do I miss going to the Garden for Rangers hockey. All right, I'll see you guys on Monday. Uh, I guess go Chiefs because I'm going to bet the Chiefs. Tom is old now, older than the trees, bigger than the mountains, taller than Drew Brees, Pat Mahomes.